Jesus. It's so good uh, to be together. I want to talk uh, this morning. The title of my message is Words. Words, your mountain is waiting to hear. Words, your mountain is waiting to hear. Uh, Debbie has spoke, uh, who's just been on the stage, spoke an incredible message at the Imagine Conference, at the Ladies' Conference, about breaking the silence. And uh, it just reminded me of this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read in a moment where Jesus spoke about words and, and the power of words. And I thought it'd be great just to revisit that this morning. So it's Mark chapter 11. I'm going to read it to get us going. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 25. Jesus and his disciples are together and it says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree, the fig tree, withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Words your mountain is waiting to heal. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that raised more questions than answers. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say something or seen somebody do something, and you just thought, I wish we could stop because I've got a lot of questions now about that. Maybe church can be like that for some people. But this day, they're walking along, Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree, and it's got leaves. He goes up to the fig tree, but there's no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree, and he says, may no one ever eat from you again. In that moment, I think the disciples think, well, they've got a lot of questions about that. Why have you done that? But events overtake them. They go into the temple. And in the temple, Jesus, instead of seeing people in prayer, instead of seeing people in worship, instead of seeing people reaching out to God, they're trading, they're buying, they're selling, they're turning it into a marketplace. And Jesus gets angry, he overturns the tables, he drives out the people who are buying, he drives out the people who are selling, and he won't let anybody enter for that purpose. He says, no, this is a house of prayer. This is not for that purpose. But the next day, as they're walking along, they see the fig tree and it's dead. In less than 24 hours, 
what Jesus says has come to pass. The fig tree that had leaves is now dead. And Peter remembers. And he begins to ask his questions. What was all that about? Lots of people have tried to examine this scripture and thought, what's this story all about? This fig tree withering. And some people say that this is a picture of Israel, that Jesus is actually doing this miracle to show his message of Israel, that Israel was meant to be an icon of what it was like to to live and to prosper and be fruitful under God. But they've become unfruitful. And so Jesus curses the fig tree uh, as a sign that something new is happening, that you've meant to be fruitful, but you're not fruitful, so God's about to do something new. But I think that something else is going on. I think that Jesus is teaching through this instance something powerful. He's teaching about faith. He's teaching about the potential. He's teaching about the possibilities that are open to us. He's actually teaching about our words and he's teaching about prayer. Because when Jesus answers Peter, what was all that about with the fig tree? He doesn't talk about Israel. He talks about faith and he talks about words and he talks about prayer. And we know words are powerful, but I'm not sure that we know how powerful they are. And I want to suggest this morning that words are more powerful than we think. Our words are more powerful than we think. We know this is true, that words are powerful on a human level, right? Because it's why we rule the world and chimpanzees don't. Because we can communicate in a way that no one else can. No other mammal, no other animal can communicate. And also we can communicate in huge numbers and to huge numbers of people. We have that ability and no other species has that ability. That's so powerful. It's why, why we rule the world. As people, as humans, we're able to create an image, an idea, a vision. And if enough people believe and buy into that idea, we're able to, to make it happen, make it a reality. We're able to imagine and we're able to actually create things through communication, through our words. We can, our words can be positive in that regard. I'll give you an example. And For example, I'm British. But when you look at me, there's nothing that you can see that you can say, oh, yes, that's British. That's a British arm. That's a British torso. That's a British suntan. That's, uh, you know, there's nothing about me. I could equally be Australian or American. This body could be French. It's British. It could be German. It could be Swedish. It could be this body. There's nothing objective. But years ago, People decided what it was like to be British. That this is what, these will be our laws. This is how we will live. This is how we will think. This is what we will do. And enough people bought into it that we created Britain. And the idea of being British. Somebody decided that we would drive on the left-hand side of the road. It's just as good, by the way, driving on the right-hand side of the road as if you've driven in Europe or in some other places you've discovered. But British, we have our ways and we do it. I like the best of British, don't you? I like the good things about being British. And we created that. And we cre- we, because we imagined it, we thought about it, we had laws. Uh, another example is, you know, being British means that we raise chicken different to Americans. 
I won't get involved. I, I won't get involved in that. But you know, the the way that the way that the way that Americans raise chickens is they just nuke them. They don't. They just dip them in something, and that's it. Chicken's done. It's over. But we're more, let's say, humane than that. It's that we've got a British way about how we treat our chickens and so on. There's something positive through our words, through our communication that we can create. But also communication can be negative. There's a story in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11. It's called the Tower of Babel. And in this story, people are together. They speak one language and they're talking this language and they've got this idea. Let's do away with God. Let's live as if there's no God and let's decide that we will be God and that we will do whatever we want to do. We will decide what's good, we will decide what's evil, and we will do whatever we want. And to show God, to put a thumb in the eye of God, let's build this tower that stretches all the way up to heaven. And we will show God that we're not interested in his ideas, we are going to be God. And so the story on the Tower of Babel is that God comes down and he confuses their language because he says, if they as one people speak in one language are able to do this, nothing will be impossible to them. You see, what's happening in their minds and in their imagination and actually the fruit of their thought, their idea, is everything is getting worse. Everything is getting wicked. Evil is going rampant. And so God comes and confuses the language. Now, people trip up over this story because they say, is that exactly how it happened? Is that how we got different languages? Is that what happened? Well, that's missing the point of the story. The point of the story is that we, as humans, have this ability to imagine something and to create it. And sometimes we can create something that is so bad that God has to step in and save us. The Tower of Babel is about the fact that God is a good God and He will not let us destroy ourselves and He will not let us us ruin ourselves. That's the point of the the Tower of Babel story. But actually we have that potential if we can communicate something in such large numbers. I was uh, listening recently to an atheist and uh, this atheist uh, does not believe in God. But then he says to people, but don't take that view. Don't get rid of God. Which is interesting, isn't it? Somebody saying, hey, I don't believe in God, but don't you dismiss God. And the reason he says this, which is super interesting, he says, because he says this. He says, if we lose the idea of God, then we have to become God. And then we'll see the destruction of humanity. If we take control, if we take charge, if we don't have this thought that there's a good God, Yahweh he talks about, and Jesus, if we don't have that idea, we will completely destroy ourselves. Words are powerful. As I've said, theologians say about this fig tree story that it's about Israel. But I believe when Jesus answers the question, it's a story about faith. It's a story about words. It's a story about mountains. And it's a story about talking. To mountains. And that's why I titled this message, Words Your Mountain Needs to Hear. You know, we can see mountains in this story as a negative thing, as something that's in the way, etc. But Jesus doesn't even use it that way. He's just illustrating the power of faith and the power of words. He's saying that when there is something that's in our way, that our language will affect whether that changes or not. 
When there's something that we need to move, something that we need to change, something that we need to create, something new, it will begin with our words. It will begin with our communication. It will begin with how we speak. Uh, This message, I believe, is true not just for my life as an individual or your life as an individual, but it's true for a business. Whatever you want to create in your building, we start with how you talk in that business, in your workplace, in your family. What sort of atmosphere do you want in your home? It will start with how you speak amongst your family and with your children and in your home. What about church? How do we want church to feel? It will start with how we speak and what we say. What about our health? Could our health be affected by how we talk? Jesus uses a mountain because a mountain is big. And it's immovable and it looks impossible. But he's saying that we can change things through the power of how we speak and the power of how we pray. Hey, we've learned to tunnel through mountains, but we haven't yet learned how to move mountains. Jesus is telling us how we can do that in our world. He's saying, hey, you can move a mountain. Whatever that mountain is, you can bring change. You can bring transformation. You can shift things. Whatever it is you need to shift, it doesn't have to stay the same. See, I love this story. The fact that this, in this story, it wasn't the season for figs. Because some people say, well, Jesus did his miracles because he was God. And he did them not as a man, but he did them because he was God. And we believe that he was God. But if that were true, don't you think he'd know it wasn't the season for figs? He'd have known that, surely. But this was not about Jesus being God. It was about teaching us the power of our words. So I've got three things that your mountain needs to hear you say. Three things that you need to speak. Three, three types of words that your mountain needs to hear. And I'm encouraging us as a church, I'm encouraging you as a person this morning, even if you're not a believer, to be a person who speaks well. To speak well in your own life, in your family, in your business, where in your workplace, wherever, amongst your friends, be a person who speaks well because it matters. And I believe Jesus teaches us it makes a difference. We might need to change our language. We might need to learn a new language, a different language. But there's three types of words I want to share with you this morning because in this few verses that we read, Jesus talks about what we say what we say, what we say, what we pray. Okay, so the first thing is this. Your mountain needs to hear your conviction. Let me read verses 22, verses 23 and 25 again. In verse 22, Jesus says this, have faith in God. 23, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, And does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done. And then verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your heavenly Father may also forgive you. Jesus talks about a conviction about God. A conviction about not doubting. A conviction about believing what we say can actually make a difference, can change an environment. And a conviction about forgiveness. 
Uh, last year, uh, around November time, just before uh, <clears throat> November, I, uh, I got Bell's palsy. Some of you were around, some of you, some of you saw me go through that. It started on a Thursday night and I got worse on Friday. I went to the doctors who sent me to the hospital. The hospital did all the tests to say that uh, uh, whether I was having a stroke or not. And Bell's palsy is where the nerves in your face stop working. And so what happens is your face drops or one side of your face drops. And so when you smile, only one side of your face moves. One eyebrow moves because the other side doesn't move. And so I got Bell's palsy and it was, it was quite bad. It was quite difficult. I couldn't say P's and I couldn't say F's. A lot of people had a lot of fun with that. And they still mock me to this day. But on the Sunday morning, I'm in church, and it was interesting. I preached in the 915, I preached in the 915 service. And as I'm looking out, people are looking at me because I didn't mention it. People are looking and they're thinking, Paul's having a stroke. He's going to die in front of us. I mean, what a way to go, die preaching. But they thought that was really going to happen. But anyway, I was, I was in the worship, I was on the front row. And I thought, there's so many brilliant people in our church. I don't, I don't need to speak. I don't need to do the bits that I do in church. You know, until this, t- till this goes, and uh, I had no idea how long that would be, I'll just let people get on with it because this is not a good look for Icon Church. It's interesting. I went to preach for a friend of mine in Newcastle and I rang him up and said, hey, John, I'm meant to be coming, but I've got Bell's palsy, which means half the side of my face isn't working, but also... I can't speak properly, as you can tell on the phone. He said, oh, Paul, we love you. We want you to come whatever you look like and whatever you sound like. It was a disaster. But anyway, I went and I got through it. But I'm, on, I'm in worship and I'm on the front row and I, I've had this thought, I'm not going to do anything. But then this verse comes into my mind, this story of a man that Jesus healed who had a withered hand. And the thing that spoke to me in this story was the Bible says that Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And his hand was made whole just like the other. It's in Matthew 12, 13. I think they'll put it on the screen for you. Just like the other. It was that phrase, just like the other. And I knew that God was saying to me, your face is going to be healed and it'll be just like the other. And I knew that God was saying, keep speaking. And so I did. I went, um, they did an appointment for me six weeks later uh, to see the consultant. And in just over two weeks, my face had completely healed. All the, the nerves that had switched off had come back on and everything was normal. And I went to see the consultant and I walked in and the consultant looked at me and he said, Paul, you've had Bell's palsy. I said, I know. And he said, and he, and he come up to me, he starts feeling my face and he, he's doing all this kind of things. He, and like, show me your teeth. You know, and he's doing all kinds of things with me. Smile, lift your eyebrows. And he said, Paul, you have Bell's palsy, but you had level six. I said, did I? What's level six? He said, it's the worst. He says, it's total paralysis of your face. He said, the reason this appointment was this length of time is because we didn't... We didn't think we'd see any improvement whatsoever in that period of time. He said, but you're completely well. He said, I think you've had a miracle. <laughs> to which I said, I think I have. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is this, that in that Sunday morning service, from that moment when 
God dropped that word in my heart. My conviction was that this side of my face would be healed and look exactly like this side of my face. And every time, you know, when Bell's palsy is being healed, you feel tingles, you feel tingles in your face, you feel your nerve endings switching back on, you feel all this kind of happening. Every time that would happen, I would put my fingers and my hand on my face and I would declare, just like the other. Because that was my conviction. And your mountain needs to hear your conviction. Kath Hall at our Imagine Conference, she spoke about, you know, forgiveness and how God, she's been through a season over the last year that's been very hard and very difficult and that she has needed to forgive. But she had the conviction that that's what God says that she needed to do. And therefore, that was the best thing for her. And so time after time after time, when she felt hurt and when she felt anger and when she felt frustration, she put herself in a place of forgiveness that's brought healing to her. I, I love that and I love that story. Your conviction is what you hold to be true. It's what you know to be true. And I've got convictions and we should have convictions. We should have convictions around God about the kind of God he is and who he is. There's times when people talk about God and I think that's not what God's like. That is not what God's like. That's not the kind of God. That's not the God that I see in Jesus. I've got convictions about God and I'm confident and comfortable in those convictions. I've got convictions about church. That Jesus said, I will build my church. I've, I've got convictions about how much church matters and how much Jesus wants to do in his church. I've got convictions about my family about my kids, about my grandchildren, about my extended family. I've got convictions around conflict. Sometimes I find myself in conflict. I've sometimes I find, I know you won't be able to believe this, there are sometimes people who don't like me. And there are people who speak bad of me, but I have this conviction I will not speak bad of them. And I've had that conviction for many years in my life. And people talk, let them talk. They'll always talk, but I, you won't, I won't speak bad about them. I hope that people have the maturity to know there's always two sides to a story, but you won't hear the other side from me because I have a con- conviction that we don't speak bad about people and we don't rubbish people and we don't tear people down and we don't do it on social media either. That's my conviction. So don't change your conviction. Your mountain needs to hear your conviction. Here's number two. Your mountain needs to hear your confession. Jesus says, speak to the mountain, say to the mountain, believe that what you say will come to pass. I recently read a book where five entrepreneurs, um, some of which you will know the names of, one is Richard Branson, all attribute their success to having suffered as children with dyslexia and throughout their life with dyslexia. They say we would not have experienced the success we have without dyslexia. Three of the five talk about how, as they've gone through the difficulty of facing this challenge in their lives, they had to learn, uh, they had to, to learn to read by reading out loud because that reinforced that if they just looked at the page, They couldn't quite make out everything that was going on. But when they spoke, and when they spoke out loud, when they said as best they could what they could say, it actually did something and reinforced a world for them that they could step into. I believe this is what Jesus is teaching us. That actually that with our words, we we can actually change things because we can create an environment that we can then step into and live. 
what we say about ourselves, what we say about others, what we say about the world around us. They all, all five of these, attributed their success to overcoming that difficulty. And three of them said that one of the most powerful things they did was they would speak and they would read out loud because their, their brain didn't work well enough for them not to be able to do that. I want to challenge us to mind our language. To actually be consistent in our confession. To actually say the things we truly believe. Our mountain needs to hear our confession. Our mountain needs to hear that God is able, that God is greater. You know, as a church, we've got lots of sayings. But one of our, one of our sayings as a, as a church is we can find a way. There's always a way. And we say that when we think we're not sure how we're going to find a way or when we can't see any way. That's our confession. It's our conviction that there's always a way. It's important what we say about ourselves and it's important what we say about others. It's important what we say about our children, about our families. It's important we don't call our wives little lunchboxes. (laughs) Or whatever it is we say. It's so important. There's three voices inside you that will speak to you. There's the voice of the critic, and that voice will tell you you're no good and everything's your fault. Have you ever heard that voice? I have. You're no good and everything's your fault. It's the voice of the critic. That's not the voice that you need to speak over your life. It's not the voice you need to speak over your children's life. Oh, it's not the voice you need to speak over your employees or your place of employment life. There's the voice of the cynic, I don't believe it. That can't be true. I don't believe it. I dismiss it. Have you ever heard that voice? And then there's the voice of the clown. And the voice of the clown is it doesn't really matter. And I've heard that voice, nothing matters. Let's just just have a laugh, as they say down south. Your mountain needs to hear your confession. And the word confess actually means to say the same as. And so when the Bible talks about confession, it's saying, I want you to say the same as God would say. It wants you to speak like God will say. So who will you speak like? Who will you speak like? That's why I love worship. Because in worship we say, there's another in the fire. In worship we declare, I'm a child of God. We're, we're, we're talking about our confidence that's in God and our confidence that's in, in the future. Because in worship, worship takes us to that place where we're saying the same things as God. But let me encourage us. Don't just say the same things as God here. Say them at home. Say them in, in your prayers. Say them in your life. Say them in your, as much as you can in your workplace. Don't go weird in your workplace, but speak in a way that's life-giving. Amen? And the last thing, number three, your mountain needs to hear your confidence. Your conviction, your confession, and your confidence. You know, we do the Tower of Babel thing. Because I believe we all want confidence. We long for confidence. But here's, we want confidence in me. We want to be so confident in us. I'm awesome. Look at me. Look what I've done. We want confidence in me. But when Jesus speaks to Peter here, he says, have faith in God. And the actual literal translation says this, have the faith of God or have the faith 
that comes from God. And let me tell you why it says that. And that it's not about just confidence in us because God wants a relationship and he wants a partnership. And whatever God is going to do in our lives and whatever you are going to do in your life and whatever path God has for you, he wants to do it with you, in you and through you. He wants a partnership, a relationship. He wants you to know that he's present and he's powerful. If you're a parent here, he's with you in your parenting and he's powerful. If you're a boss here, he's with you and he's present and he's powerful. If you've got a mountain that is a negative mountain in your way, right here, right now, God is present and God is powerful. And that's why you can speak through your confidence. Have you ever been in a situation where you had no idea how you'd get through it, but you had that verse, my God shall supply all my needs. That's your mountain here in your confidence. That's your mountain listening to your confidence. That's why as a church, as I've already said, we say we'll always find a way. Our confidence can get knocked. Our confidence can get destroyed. We can worry. We can worry about faith. We can worry about family. We can worry about all kinds of things in our life. But I believe our mountains need to hear our convictions, our confessions, and it needs to hear our confidence. Years ago, there was a family in our church and the girl only had one eye. She had a glass eye and the other eye worked fine. And the mother particularly was completely worried. She was besotted about this fact. And, and it was so worried that this girl, as she got older, one, she might be picked on, bullied, she might be ridiculed. And, and two, that this would be, create some limitation, massive limitation in our life. And I remember Gavin being so wise. I thought I'd drop you in, Gavin, seeing as you're watching from Croatia. Gavin being so wise, speaking to this mom and saying this, your daughter can live a great life with one eye. That's confidence speaking. That's confidence speaking. You might have some difficulty. Your children might have some difficulty. Let me tell you, let your mountain hear your confidence. Let your mountain hear the confidence that you have in God. Oh, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the struggle. I'm not diminishing the challenge. You know, all of those people who were successful because they'd had dyslexia were also asked, would you want your children to go through it? They all said no. Because it was a struggle and it was a fight. So I'm not diminishing the struggle and I'm not diminishing the fight. But let your mountain hear your confidence. Uh, two weeks ago, I went to, to, last story, I went to a post-Brexit summit. Don't worry, I'm not going to get political. And, uh, uh, it, which is interesting, it was a post-Brexit summit, but we're not post-Brexit. <laughs> it was obviously arranged before we didn't leave. And... Uh, there were three speakers. It was an invitation only. Twelve pastors were invited to, to meet three significant figures. One was uh, a lord uh, from that house, house of lords. And uh, he's involved in, in writing and been involved in writing lots of government policy for several years and on certain issues. The second was a businessman who ran for the mayor of London. And I can't tell you the stories, but... He, some of his policies, he got so much support. He didn't win, but he got so much support for some of his policies that the winner had to adapt their manifesto to fit with some of the policies, which was fantastic, an incredible influence. And then the third was a diplomat. It was a Canadian diplomat 
who's living in the embassy, obviously is here on behalf of Canada and, and working on relations between Britain and Canada. So those three people talk. Here's what I heard from each one of them. They had more confidence about the future than the church has. It was like whatever happens, good, bad, ugly. And that's a possibility. Good, bad, ugly. They had more confidence in our ability to speak, to communicate, and to speak in a way and communicate in a way that it would create a new reality that we could step into. They weren't diminishing some of the challenges or some of the problems that might arise, but they had far more confidence in the future than I hear often in the church. And I thought, shouldn't we be the people? Shouldn't we be the people who have faith in God? Shouldn't we be the people who know we can speak to the mountain and we can say, this needs to change. We need to create a new reality and we can communicate it. And if enough of us believe it, that we can make it happen, that we can walk into it. Shouldn't we be the people who can speak into our families and learn a new language and begin to speak life and begin to speak energy and joy and peace and healing and grace and strength into our families? Shouldn't we be those people Imagine, shouldn't we be those people? I think we we should. And we all get it wrong, but I'm encouraging you this morning to let your mountain hear your conviction, your confession, and let it hear your confidence. Sometimes what I see is not what I want to see, but I'm reminded of a verse of Scripture. I walk by faith and not by sight. So I just shut my eyes and then I see what I want to see. And with my words and my communication, I can begin to change that world. I'm not being mystical. I'm being real because I believe Jesus is teaching us that that's how things begin to change. You have to start to speak differently. have to start to speak differently that's where it begins so know your convictions speak from them have consistent confession learn a new language and have confidence in God let your mountain hear your words come on I'm going to pray then we're going to sing and now I'm back to Nathan anybody thankful for God's word this morning come on let's give God some praise thank you for your word presence this morning we're listening to what you said to Peter and we don't want just it to be a passage in a book we don't just want it to be some writing on a page we want it to be the kingdom of heaven that lives in our heart and our life and so we ask you today that as we leave this place you will change our mindset you will change our thinking you will change our heart you will change our speaking that we will become people who aren't flippant. But we're certainly not Tower of Babel people, but a people who believe that with our God and we're speaking, we can change things. As we begin to speak right and we begin to communicate right with you, with each other, with other people, we can say things well, we can celebrate. 
We can cast the demons out of social media. (laughs) Because there's a lot there. But we can see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to stop because I'm tired and I'll start rambling. So come on, let's worship God. Isn't Amy Lloyd an incredible worship leader? She is. Come on, Amy, do something because I don't know what to say. Oh, it's not you. It's you. Isn't Nathan Blood a great worship leader? Hey, I've always wanted to do this. Right, let's go. Well, we sing together, you love.